was known as a man. A man on a dragon. And that dragon had a rider. And that rider's name was... Today we're going to be talking about the 1986 film by Toyu Ashida, Fist of the North Star. Good Lord, Nate Regolia, what is going on in Fist of the North Star? Hey, Sean, how are you? Oh my God. Good, how's it going? <laughs> good, good. I've got, I've got one dog on my lap and another dog uh, near me, so we're, we'll see if they can keep it quiet for the show. We are a dog-heavy crew. I have to keep mine out because you'll just hear their nails banging all over the place. Oh, yeah, just clicking on the wood? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, this movie. Yeah, uh, we're doing this a little bit later We're uh, as we're speaking on the Lord's Day, which is good because we're going to be talking about Karate Jesus's. Yeah! Karate yeah. Karate Jesus. You know what? I, you know what I just realized? I need to grab my phone and I left it in the other room. I've got my notes on it. Okay. I will be right back. We're singing a song and talking to dogs while Nate goes and gets his notebook. I think he's actually got it on his phone, so it's not really a notebook. I don't know if dogs can hear me, but if they can hear me, they're good boys or girls. They are dogs, and they're on the bed, and I think one of them just shook its collar. That was Rocket. Okay. Rocket's taking his uh his many his many badges of uh, inoculation. Aw. So uh yeah. This what the fuck with this movie? I I, I really I don't even know how to classify it. That's I, that's where I, I'm stuck to begin with. I don't wanna bury the lead on this, but I love this movie so much I could drop dead right now. Wow, really? Yeah. Okay. And I don't know why, because it's like really bad. <laughs> it, well, okay. So its its badness is balanced out by uh, some really incredible stuff. Which is uh, the very first note that I took was the the voiceover opening 
that felt like a, I don't know, like a f- school film strip kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, which opening? Because there's a voiceover, and then there's a cold open, and then another voiceover that tells you the same thing. Right. It, so it's like, hey, the world ended. Dogs. <laughs> the world ended. They're upset about the apocalypse. Come yeah, they're in. really not happy with the nuclear winter and destruction of the Earth. Um, it, yeah, so I, I, don't, I don't know. It's, uh, it, it opens on this thing that's, like, extraordinarily cool. Really interesting setup. It sort of explores a complex and nuanced destruction of the planet and of the human race. Right. And then we jump right into uh, an opening credit sequence that had music that I assumed was borrowed from, like, Knott's Landing or another uh, 80s-style daytime soap. It feels like a voiceover for an entirely different movie. Like, they right. just clipped it from something else and stuck it on there. But, but holy, uh, okay. The, the nuclear holocaust that follows, the way that it is depicted is fantastic. Oh, yeah. And I was, I was all in on the movie when that happened. I was like, wow, this, they're really doing this. There's just a bunch of people walking around, and they just start melting while they walk, and they don't even really have a chance to scream. It's just, uh, this movie is extraordinarily gory. Yeah, if, so, if you're having a hard time picturing what he's talking about, imagine this, the beginning of Terminator 2, the cold open of Judgment Day, if it was a trauma movie, because it's, like, excessively gross. Oh, yeah, yeah, or uh, or if it had uh, something in common with the Netflix movie Apostle, that you and I should do a sidebar on that, because I, I finally watched it. Yeah, let's, watch let's it do it at the end. Yeah, we can do that later. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Beautiful uh, nuclear holocaust, and then a bunch of spirits escaping into the sky, which was an interesting image. I believe they're called Thetans. Well, uh, yep, gotta get, gotta get back to Elrond. <laughs> um, so I was like, oh, cool, okay, so this, this movie is gonna be kind of like a Dark Souls meets Fallout sort of thing. Like, that's the vibe I got from the opening sequence. Yeah, and it is not that. It, it is not at all, because then we jump ahead and... Everybody is dressed kind of like He-Man meets Dragon Ball Z. Yeah, it's it's also like very evocative of Mad Max, I think, purposely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, everybody's got uh, borrowed metal plates on them. Um, but yeah, I, I, okay. So help, help <laughs> me out with... You're struggling already. I like it. I think I, think I understand that this is what the movie is about. Okay. Post, post-apocalypse... There are uh, established leadership dojos in the cardinal directions. In two of them. Or in two of them. The, the North Star and the South Star. That's it. Well, you know what'll fuck you up? Do you know what this the title is in Japan? Oh no, what is it? Fist of the Big Dipper. So I don't what? know if they're just all based on constellations. Oh, so it was like Fist of the Southern Cross, maybe. Would yeah. Be... Okay. Fist of Larry the Cowboy. Yeah. <laughs> Fist of the necklace on the cat from Men in Black. <laughs> you remember? Yeah. The Constellation yeah, is on. Yeah, well, I remember. Oh, man. What a great misdirect that was. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. So you've got... So so we have, I guess, two rival leadership factions. Uh, uh, our main character, uh, whose name is Ken, which is great connection to uh, Street Fighter. Lots yeah. of 
Lots of, we're, we're doing really well having arbitrary connections to the previous movie so far. Yeah, what is... I don't know if it's because it's short for Kenshiro, which it is in this case, or... Um, I don't know what the fascination with the name Ken is, because I've met exactly zero people named Ken in my life. I've seen them on television, but I've never actually met a Ken. But in Japan, like, they must think all of us are named Ken. I, it's got to be just, like, Barbie-related, right? It's, like, the cultural cachet of the standard white male. Oh, speaking of Kens and Barbies, do you know Ken Masters from Street Fighter? I meant to bring this up on the last show. The only reason he has that last name is because Mattel was going to sue, I think it was Hasbro, for having a doll named Ken after the Street Fighter movie came out, so they had to give him a last name. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Oh, man. Toby, don't help. Come on. <laughs> um. Yeah, but they, like, it reminds me of, did you, did I ever send you the thing, it was on Twitter, where it was, like, it was a screen grab from some Japanese, like, Nintendo baseball game, where it has the American team and what they think our names all sound like, and one of them was, like, Bobson Dugnut. <laughs> well, yeah, Bobson Dugnut's great. That's, like, the, the randomizer, yeah, like... Back when video games couldn't get the licenses for players associations, right, so you got right. like, hey, we got the team, but everybody's named stupid stuff. Oh god, uh, like Sean Dunstan, who that was a real name, but his name used to give me a fit because it was like S H A W O N, like it drove me crazy. Oh yeah, like Delino De Shields. Oh yeah, you remember Delino De Shields? I do. <laughs> my favorite. I know we're all over the place, but my favorite. Uh, unfortunate name was a Red Sox center fielder, Troy O'Leary, because he definitely did not resemble a Troy O'Leary whatsoever. Oh, yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> okay. Okay, so back, right. back, back, on, back on track here. Okay. So we have, we have some number of human beings still alive. Doesn't yes, appear yes. to be very many. Uh, but they but are... Until the middle of the movie where there are armies of, like, millions of people marching down the street. Yeah, until suddenly it's clear that, like, oh, at least two or three major cities have bustling, uh, re- like, returned populations. I, yeah. Yeah, like, uh, how far are we from this apocalypse? Could you twig that or no? Because I'm not really sure. I had no idea. I mean, I sort of assumed that it was first generation after it because okay. of competition over who would lead and the idea that okay so like ken's dad i guess runs the north star dojo and he's pretty old but it implies sort of that i well i don't know i it yeah how far how far into the future are we with this because his father's also named ryu ken oh my god it's just... And it's I, just... I couldn't tell from the context if they were all actually brothers and father and son, or it was just, like, brothers in the way that they're, like, brothers in martial arts. You know what I mean? Like, it was, oh. it was not clear. Yeah, because, well, the, the, the one, the, the later pretender, the guy who's pretending to be Ken... Yes. ...who has the just hilarious, like, Frankenstein... Uh, rebar contraption holding his brain in from exploding. Yeah, he's got uh, a mutant league football helmet. Yeah, and they they seem to be actual brothers. Okay, at least that was the sense I got. That was my assumption was that yeah, they're actually related to each other because that's why this is so extra brutal. But because the the whole the whole film the whole story plays off of pretty basic level Shakespearean themes, right? It's like who who's the rightful heir to this. 
uh, you know, and then everything else is just kind of property and and set dressing, in- including uh, Julia, Ken's girlfriend, who uh, we meet uh, at the very beginning. Ken and Julia are wandering the wastes alone. Yeah, I feel like that's the national pastime. Yeah, just walking around. Yeah, but but if you're if you're one of the uh, suffering hordes. You you walk around in a very le- uh, far less confident manner than say, well, Kent does. There's also like I don't know if we're meant to take that these people are mutants or they are just like their karate is so strong that they are all like nine feet tall. There's like a tremendous discrepancy between like we'll call them the action people versus just the the rabble and the citizenry. Because oh, the, yeah, yeah. the regular people are like regular people, and all the people that fight are twelve feet tall, or or much larger. Yes, like up to forty feet tall, it would seem. Yeah, and it like Couple fluctuates days. from scene to scene how big these things. Oh, are. Oh yeah, perspective is perspective is not a consist uh, a constant in this. Like there is no there is no scale. Uh, yeah. I, okay. So so uh, Ken and Julia walking through the desert. Um, and this guy Shin shows up, I think, right? Shin? Shin. Shin shows up, and Shin, like, picks a fight with Ken, saying, like, hey, I I should be Fist of the North Star. I'm better than you. And I should... No, no, let me pause you. Shin is the Fist of the South Star. Okay. His beef is strictly to do with wanting to... Take his woman. Okay. Okay. So it's just about Julia. Right. Rao yeah. and Jaggy are the guys that are want to be the fist of the North Star. They're up cliffside observing everything. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So so Shin just wants Julia and then yes. proceeds to finger Ken, which in this movie means that he actually sticks his fingers into Ken's torso. It's uncomfortable. Like, I get that it's a cartoon, but it's fucking disgusting. Oh, you know, it's weird, because he's, like, digging, like, slowly digging in, and and there's some some very clear, like, pain and throbbing sort of action happening with the camera. Uh, this, yeah, this movie is, is consistently gruesome, though often comedically gruesome. Yeah. Is, let me ask you a kind of, like, not like a sidebar, but kind of a side question, because I feel like this is going to come up in anime a lot is it what age were you when you decided that everything was hyper masculine was also like super gay because I, I think i was like in my late 20s when i made that connection and now i can't break it like it's like a synapse that won't change like whenever i see something that's intentionally hyper masculine i assume it's like a cry for help yeah, uh, uh, it would have been probably when I was taking like a sociology class in college because we, we talked about and I, I think I use this term at least when I or at some point, but talking about homosocial relationships, which is like a narrative convention about men being able to socialize with other men. Right. When you're talking then, about uh, war movies. last Yeah, week. yeah, yeah. So and yeah, and this is this is that I mean, this is a and this is beyond that because this is a movie where. Everything is about these guys being beefcakes and I think bonding deeply with one another over the fact that they're beefcakes. Yeah. But, but also just 
everything is is a a pissing contest. Like it, it seems like the entire post apocalyptic world of of this film is about it's. I mean, it's just about power, which I guess I mean that's just a standard war convention too. Yeah, but it, it is like a nuclear holocaust that took place exclusively at three thirty in the morning in a gold gym in Silver Lake in L.A. Yeah, like everybody's super big and super tough and super gay. <laughs> I mean, the only people who are not are the weird pair of I don't know twelve and twelve year old and nine year old who are like the fucking kids from Thundercats that are just kind of around. Oh yeah, Bat and uh, what is I remember the kid's name because it was Bat. But uh, what is the girl's? I forget what the girl's name is, but she's also some yeah. kind of psychic. Her name is Lynn, I think. Lynn, there you go. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Which okay, because this this thing is tonally all over the place. We too. are ten seconds into this movie. We have by the not way. moved forward. It is okay. impossible to talk about this movie. <laughs> yeah. So so okay. So in this opening sequence, we get very clearly that one women are property, which will carry through the film. Yes. Uh, yes. We get then we get a phenomenal uh, and and really finally for this podcast to get this to get four episodes in. Uh, before we had a a classic anime battle backdrop of like a star field just flying flying at high speed in in bands of light. Oh yeah, and oh, yeah. Uh, and and then yeah, Ken and uh, Shin fight each other, spouting a lot of heavy expositional dialogue, like, like you were saying about being the the fist of the South Star, fist of the North Star. Um, yeah, well. While the two, the aforementioned Jaggy and Rao, are on top of a cliff, possibly 600 feet in the air, observing all of this, uh, deciding whether or not they're going to intervene. And it seems like they can hear the conversation right. very clearly from that distance. <laughs> and yeah, they're so they're deciding whether to intervene or not, but I guess, uh, I don't know, uh, they just decide not to. I think Rao decides that, well, if Ken loses, then Rao deserves to be Fist of the North Star. Right. So just let him let them fight, and he'll he'll win either way. Yeah, and uh, Jaggy is just some kind of unhinged pervert. Yeah, he's just like a, a well, I wrote Maniac Bandage Head Down, because I didn't even catch what his name was at the beginning. Okay. But, but yeah, uh, yeah, he's just kind of, he's he's very much the, the uh, Iago or... Uh, the Rasputin type character. Yeah, or he's the, just whispering in people's ears to make things happen. Yeah, and we're not really sure why at this point. He's a bit of a Renfield. Yeah, total Renfield, absolutely. Um, yeah, and then and then Julia also has the entire Doomsday Seed library in a small cloth pouch. That's yeah, the I, thing that we know at the beginning. I got the impression from this opening scene, which we find out is later not true, that Julie was the only woman left on the planet and was needed for repopulation purposes. I thought that was going to be the thrust of the movie. Yeah, or, or yeah, that it would matter for some reason, but it it doesn't. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out there, but it doesn't really matter for the rest of the movie. No. Uh, it, yeah, it's it's it's. It'd be, it'd be like so... if, if you like had my watch and I use that as an excuse to come have a Titanic fist fight with you. Like I got to go get that watch. Yeah. And then the watch just gets sort of left on, yeah, on a, yeah. on a table somewhere. 
And everybody forgets about the watch until later you're like, ah, that watch. Yeah, there is some lip service paid to, I guess, her psychic abilities being able to sprout the plants. That We see the same thing with the girl that she is also a psychic. I don't understand where everybody's powers come from. I don't know if it's like supposed to be chi energy or they're mutants or they're psychics or what the fuck's going on. Yeah, I, I, I did not get that either. I mean, I, I, I assumed, I think, that it's just from the radiation. It's It's got to be mutation thing, but... Okay, and I didn't even pick up on the the her like Julia having a special ability to sprout it, or Lynn having a special ability. I thought like, oh, Lynn finally planted one of the seeds, and look, it sprouted. And no, there's, there, there's some kind of like because he can later in in the in the film, uh, it's weird even calling it that. Says something <laughs> like, uh, "You're just special, like this one person I know. Just the two of you can make these seeds grow, or maybe it's just some kind of weird like." Like, they have some kind of weird concept of women's work after the apocalypse, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I can't grow shit. I'm a guy. I gotta go out and punch things. Right. And then wait 15 to 30 <laughs> seconds for them to suddenly explode. <laughs> okay. Um, we, we will get on track, sort of. But there's not, like, there's not a whole lot to this, really, yeah. narratively. No, there there really isn't. So, okay, uh, let, let's just, we'll, let's run through the narrative uh, real fast from here. So, uh, uh, Shin beats Ken up. Then, uh, what'd you say the guy's name is? Jaggy? Yeah. Jaggy takes Ken's beaten body and throws him into a pit. He throws him in a Springfield gorge. He takes, like, the Homer yeah. skateboard fall down this mountain. He falls forever. <laughs> he and, like and that's, everything and that's all the way down. He's just gonna fall forever. <laughs> and, yeah. and the reason for this is... Honor, I guess, because everything seems to be about honor, sort of. Sure. Um, so then we cut to uh, Rao and the dad slash sensei at the at the uh, dojo of the North Star, and Rao's like, "Hey, uh, I should be the fist of the North Star now." And the guy's like, "No, you're too brutal. You don't get it. You're you're going to be bad at this." So then Rao goes crazy and trashes the joint. Yeah. Um, and we get a dramatic uh, lightning sequence that remi- remind me of, like, a Harryhausen movie. Dude, I think we've gotten a lightning sequence in every one of these movies. Yeah, I think you're right. We Yeah, they're definitely definitely in the last three. Yeah. I'm trying to think of Cowboy Bebop, but it's got to be in there. Oh, I'm sure. Um, okay, so then, so then we jump from Rao having trashed the North Star Temple to, uh, like, a bunch of people in a refugee caravan just getting trashed by, like, a motorcycle gang. Right, they're coming to commit election fraud. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, somebody had to send them to the border. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you see this caravan get trashed, very Mad Max thing, then the two Thundercat kids appear, and and they're trying to get away from this group of war boys. Which I, I felt was a really surprising tone shift because then it's like a cutesy, fun, like, cartoon chase. Oh, yeah, it's all over the place. They're racing through and they're dune buggy. Uh, yeah, I wasn't even 100% that the guy was a kid because of the way the perspectives are with the people in this movie. But it does turn out that he is a child. And they're, But what's weird is they're just like, they're so not, they don't look anything like any other people in this world. No. They are, there is as if pulled from an entirely different film and put in here because we needed some sense of levity. 
in this very dramatic story. Do you think they're a fucking, what do you, uh, what do you call it, like an asset switch or whatever when you buy those like asset packs to make a Steam game? Oh, there you go. Yeah, that, that's probably what it is. They were like, okay, well, cool. We can pick up a couple of these kids from, uh, I, I don't know, or like the Littles. They, they reminded me of like weird 80s like offshoot cartoons. That... Yeah, yeah, for sure. Or like a, like a studio, not quite Studio Ghibli, but like that style of movie. Right, right, because they they seem and okay, so they're they're car well they have to get away from the from the war boys, so then uh, they're get they're trapped and somebody's coming in to kill someone, and then we find out that the little girl Lynn can't speak, but but she uh, knows just what you're thinking. Yeah, she but but she's able to contact this giant golem. I'm glad you said golem because I was going to say the same exact thing. I don't know if it was on purpose, but, like, that's what it is. Like, it's a stone monster. Yeah, that, and that was my thought. It's like, oh, okay, cool, so there's a golem. That's interesting. And then that golem, like, walks through a building. Like, its head cuts a skyscraper in half. It's <laughs> laying sideways. Well, first, this thing walks... First of all, everybody's walk animation is, like, Poochie going to his home planet. Like, a lot of the animation's really good, but... I guess just because the character models are so huge and bulky, like, they all walk very weird. Yeah, it's all just, it's, it's like, yeah, it's just like if you moved your, your fingers, like your pointer finger and your middle finger back and forth and said, this is what walking looks like. Yeah. It's just a shuffle. He's he's shuffling down this abandoned cityscape, just punching skyscrapers down casually. Yeah, he's just he's just rolling through, and then uh, and then, like you said, a building falls over on him, like to his shoulders, and he just walks through it as his head just carves through this entire building. Yeah, just carves right through it, and and this is another one of those moments of like there is no scale because I have no idea how big this guy is, yeah. but he sure seems to be at least half a skyscraper is wide as he is tall. Like, he is a huge human being. Right. Um, and then we find out that, oh, it, it, it's actually Ken, and Ken has grown a beard uh, because all of his mud falls off. Yeah, I feel like maybe if we had read the, you know, all the manga or seen the TV show, we would understand what has happened between these two scenes. But he literally falls into a bottomless pit, becomes a golem off screen. And is psychically summoned by a girl he has never met that we understand. Right. Like, that's it. And he's just back. He's just back and not any different other than the beard he's grown. He is the same dude. Uh, so he starts beating up people. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> so apparently... Uh, I'm sure we'll touch on it, but we'll just talk about it now. There's a lot of weird filtering in some of the gore effects, which is weird how they decided what's too gory and what's not because some of it they show, and it, I imagine it can't look any more gross than the shit they kind of cover. But apparently, there's there isn't there was an uncut theatrical version where it's all animation looks the same. There's none of that weird stylistic shit. Mm-hmm. But it's like lost to history. Like there's no home version that's not censored that way. So that is a deliberate censoring. It's not some kind of weird stylistic choice. So, yeah, and, and okay. So, but then what? I guess the thing is, is like, what are they censoring and why? Right. Because 
they show plenty of things completely that are very gruesome. And the censoring doesn't seem to do anything other than maybe like fuchsia wash the action so yeah. that you can't tell what is blood and what isn't, even though it's really clear what's blood. Well, they do it on some television. Um, not as much anymore, but they used to. Like, if there was a scene with a profuse amount of blood, they would switch to black and white because somehow, it, like, they think it lessens the impact, although I think it looks much more visceral. It's just this black pool on somebody's right. face. But, yeah, like like you said, the, what they decide to censor and not makes no sense. Like, I would have to sit down with whoever was pointing out these scenes, like, oh, that one make it sepia tone. This one shake the camera around. Like, why? Because people's heads are routinely not just exploding, but, like, inflating all a big trouble little china and then exploding into chunks and there's blood like everybody nobody has bones they're just like 280 pounds of blood in skin because like every time somebody bleeds it's like just this fucking arterial spray that threatens to like just like flood the entire world oh yeah everyone is everyone is like a high pressure uh like balloon of blood and it's it's a matter of like poking it in the right places so that it just like I, I don't know boils and froths out. It's 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 I mean it's it's really uh, it's cool. It's fun. It's fun violence. It's fun ultra violence, and it's really hilarious because it's all just delayed enough. Like yeah. I don't know what, what like there's at least a dozen times where one of the protagonists beats up somebody. And the and that somebody is like, haha, you're not strong enough to fight me. And then right after they say their their tough guy line, they explode. Yeah, it's the uh, I don't know if it's supposed to be a like a, a Sylvia Plath conceit or something. Like we're all just the Walking Dead, like we've already died and don't know it. But that line gets brought up a couple times. I think it's just a tough guy thing. But I think it's supposed to kind of, uh, if I had to guess. It's supposed to be reminiscent of all those old kung fu movies with the five-finger death touch or, like, the Kill Bill, the the exploding heart palm strike. Yeah, that's like, what I wrote down, too. Oh, did you? I, okay. I thought, yeah, I thought of that, too, because that, that's the only – that's the way that it made sense is it's like, okay, these guys are especially talented in fighting so that they can do this thing. But they also don't really seem capable of limiting themselves. I mean, I, I feel like there are a few times when these fights didn't have to end in the other person exploding. But <laughs> – but Ken Ken really only has one gear, which is okay. If we if we fight, I I destroy you, like literally, yeah. like you you become uh, just a pool of mushy bits because there's not just a like, hey, you learned your lesson. I punched you in the gut and you ran away thing. No, no, it's it's done. Like if if you fight this guy, it is. I feel like every fist fight in this world ends in death. Oh yeah, yeah. No, they, there's not a single one where it's like, hey, dust yourself off and and take a hike, kid. You know, uh, so yeah, the first one he he can with a beard kills like a twenty foot tall guy that is that is hassling uh, Bat and Lynn. Yeah, well, and I mean, the guy's like twenty feet tall in reference to Ken, who is at least ten feet tall. So this guy might be thirty feet tall. Like, oh, who knows? Huge, and he's got like a grill mask on, and uh, okay. So, uh, and then we cut to uh, Ken's magically shaven, which I guess they have some sort of... No, he has a knife. He uh, shaves with a knife. There's like a two-second thing where he's got like a oh, he? boomy oh, knife. I, I must have yeah. missed that, yeah. Uh, let's see. And then and then somehow he restores Lynn's voice. Yeah, or she gets his... her voice back. Yeah, he does it somehow with her, 
with his karate powers. I guess it's like his his uh, perception and chi that does it. Okay, so he karate's her voice back to her, <laughs> and and then uh, yeah, and then we cut to let's see. There's there's a guy named Ray, it's like a white haired guy. Yeah, who kind of looks like Shin. He's got this like um, Japanese people do this with a lot of their villains is like sort of fey looking. He has this like impossibly straight hair long hair and like I, it's kind of shorthand you know what i mean like yeah yeah well it's uh it's like the uh what like the guy in do you ever play samurai samurai showdown oh yeah, yeah. so like the, the guy with the blue hair that's got like tuberculosis oh yeah 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 but he's got like he's super slender and has super long straight blue hair right, right. um and yeah and, and and ray even gets introduced to us he's wearing like a pink coat and the guy with nunchucks that he's about to fight, like, assumes he was a woman? Yes. Oh, Says, yeah, that's right. You're right, yeah. And then they fight. Yeah, and Ray eviscerates him with his, uh, kitty cat powers. Right. Yeah, because, like, his martial art involves, like, swiping the air like he's in the Minority Report, and some kind of unseen, invisible force is, like, piano wire just cutting everybody apart. Yeah, they're like air blades. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and again, it's like, so they fight and there's kind of like sultry, almost like Cinemax porno background music while they fight. Yes. Yes. Which was, which was weird. Again, it's just like tonally this, this movie is everywhere. <laughs> um, so, then, yeah. So then we cut again and, and we're to Lord Jaggy, I guess. Yeah. And he, he, Kills a guy. I saw oh, it. yeah, because they're, um, they have made a statue of Jaggy in the town square that says that he's the fist of the North Star because he has like self stigmatized himself. Allow me to introduce myself to myself um, <laughs> with with Ken's seven wounds that he received from Shin during his cliff poking. Yeah, so he's and he's using so he's hurt himself on purpose to have matching scars so that he can pretend to be Fist of the North Star. Right, there, it's well, like those uh, fraternities where they brand themselves. <laughs> oh man, fraternities, huh? Yeah. What, what fun? Speaking um, of uh, homosocial relationships, right? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. I okay. So th- then, at some point, there. Yeah. So. I, I took a note of <laughs> I took a note of a guy says, "Wait a minute, I got a splitting headache." When he literally has a saw in his head, that is pretty hysterical. He and he says that as if he doesn't know the saw is in his head, even though it's very clearly in his head, and he should be in in a bunch of pain. Oh, I, just you don't you don't think he went out on a quip? You think he was actually like confused as to why he has his head pain all of a sudden? <laughs> I, I I took it as he he really seriously just did not get it because this post apocalyptic world has taken the sense of something from everyone. Uh, this this movie's funny in the same way, not intentionally the way the Yakuza games are, because it's like this intense violence being delivered by these like stone faced golems, but everything's super hysterical because it's so arch and over the top. Yeah, everybody everybody's at at eleven. And then the director came in and said, no, no, bigger. Yeah. 
um, okay, so, uh, yeah, so then uh, Jackie, Jackie kills one of his buddies because he saw his ugly face. Uh, yeah, like, that breathing was, like, you know the scene where, um, Poole gets killed by Hal in 2001 and Bowman's just out in that, that, uh, the vehicle out in space just breathing, that, it's, like, a lot of that. Like, there's a lot of repeated noise in this movie to the point where it gets, like, almost uncomfortable. Yeah, it is very, like, it's, it's, like, pre-ASMR ASMR. Uh, key reference. Oh, so uh, uh, ASMR is this thing where when people whisper into the microphone and they lick their lips and other people like really enjoy that. Oh, they do. It's yeah, it's like an it's like an audiology thing that I it, it's become sort of big on the Internet right now. But I guess there are like people who like to listen to these ASMR recordings to relax and, and sometimes to get horny and stuff. It's I, yeah, I was going to say, I'm assuming that most of the uh, performers of such are women, right? Like, this is like some kind of kink thing? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a big kink thing, because I really only heard women doing it. Okay. But it's like, it's it's things like just people, like, eating into the microphone, too. Like, the, that, that just chomping on fucking linguine and nuts and stuff. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> God, I was listening to Chuck Palahniuk doing a podcast the other day, and he's like a wet talker, and it, I couldn't listen to it. it was like, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. No, whispering is fine though. I I I, I kind of do enjoy that, uh, in the right context. Uh, <laughs> so okay, we'll, where, we'll where save it we... for the after dark episode. Yeah, we'll do. Yeah, we'll do. Uh, We'll do you better, but we bit after dark, and we'll start uh, getting into all the tentacle porn ones. <laughs> we'll whisper the whole show. Yeah, just oh man. <laughs> okay, I I apologize for, but this movie's like so hard to talk about because it's just a bunch of scenes that happen and then it ends. <laughs> like... That's that's and that's literally where I'm stuck right now. Yeah. Okay. The. Well, let me, okay, let me just, so, I'm just going to run through the plot as as high level as possible real quick. Okay, I will be so quiet. So from where we are now, uh, Jaggy is pretending to be the Fist of the North Star. Uh, Ken finds out about this. He and Jaggy fight. He kills Jaggy. Uh, then Ken goes to rescue Julia, maybe? You did miss the whole Ray's motivation uh, and this is another way that they oh. coded him gay because they do this in Japanese movies a lot. Instead of looking for a wife, he's looking for his sister who has oh, been okay. taken captive by Jaggy and used as a sex slave. That's right. Okay, so Ray Ray rescues his sister, but she's gone blind from all the sex slavery, I guess. I think that's the implication that they've literally, like, fucked her blind. No, well, she has uh, a line about how she ref- she won't open her eyes because then people will see the things she's done, which isn't how sight works, but okay. She's but this, like psychosomatically blind. If there is one theme in this movie that runs through for everything, it's this concept of honor. Yeah. Now, there doesn't seem to be a clear honor code, but everybody is really afraid of being dishonored somehow. So yeah, cool. okay. So Ray Ray rescues his sister. Yes. Jaggy is killed. Yes. 
Rao is leading an army of thousands. And At he's least become, thousands, yes. And he's become some sort of, uh, I don't know, Viking-esque warrior chieftain. Yeah, I, I'd say that's fair. And they fight. I don't even. I, I don't even remember who they fight because okay, they fight so like a group of savages. They fight uh, Uncle Phil from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. That's right. Oh my yes. god. Yeah. <laughs> in, in like, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. A really strong vocal performance from James Avery in this dumb movie. And and he's only in it for. He's only got like eight lines. Yeah. But he's so good. And I and I and I recognized him right away. I, I furiously looked him up to figure out who it was. I was like, "Who is that voice?" Yep, yeah, Uncle yeah. Phil. I actually, I thought the the uh, whoever did the voice for Rao was actually pretty good too. But that was it. Those two voices. Everybody else is very stiff. Oh, uh, like incredibly. Oh, I think we, we did we get to Shin's palace yet? No, that's a little bit farther on. Okay, go ahead. So yeah, so Rao fights Uncle Phil, and and Uncle Phil is Fang. Yes. Okay, and Fang is just, like, another leader that isn't related to the North or South Star? Yeah, he's just some other uh, warlord. Okay, so he just... Uh, yeah, so so Rao decimates Fang and his army of, like, I don't know. Oh, I, let me pause you real quick. I know we're trying to get through this, but there's a fucking hysterical line that Fang has where Rao starts doing something with his hands... And Fang goes, now mind you, this is a guy that has turned his skin into steel, loudly exclaimed so, and grown 500 feet in the last five seconds, and says, what do you think, I believe in magic? You think I'm an idiot? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> I forgot about that. It, yeah, it, it's, okay. Because yeah, everybody... Like, no, I say Fang's like a Agent Scully, like, just won't believe it, even though they've seen everything. And even though he's participating in it, direct. Correct. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, additional, like, uh, mortal wounding jokes, because I'm pretty sure Rao kills Fang. Similarly, Fang's like, I'm going to get you, and then he blows up. Yeah. Uh, so then we cut to... Uh, then we cut to to uh, Shin's palace. Yes. Where Julia is tearing off her wedding dress in front of a mirror... And we get the most weird and uncomfortable nudity I've seen so far in the four movies. Yeah, because, like, to shed her uh, her slave persona, I guess, because we, we understand that she's just been sitting in this throne breaking jewelry for however long it's been since Ken was thrown off that cliff. Uh, she stands and... Oh, so Jaggy reveals at some point that Shin kidnaps Julia because... Jaggy told Shin that Julia really loved him and didn't love Ken. So he takes that as an impetus to go kill Ken and take her. And he is, like, legit in love with her in a crazy way. Yeah. He's like, so, yeah. So the plot becomes Othello. Yes. Which is just, okay, one meddling guy tells two warriors to turn against each other. Right. Over a Yeah, go ahead. No, that's it. Over a yeah. But then Shin also gets impossibly deep at this point. Like, he's like the only character that realizes that they're in an apocalypse and the world is doomed. He's like, do it or don't do it. Does it really matter? Like, Yeah, he says, we kill each other. And what does it matter? Let it begin. Yeah. 
which is is a great line. So, uh, okay, and and so Ken fights Shin. Yeah. Julia has has since escaped into the subway or some sort of sewer tunnel. Yeah, she has left his uh, 16th century broke palace through a roll-up metal door. And and she does. She ends up she ends up in a subway tunnel, which is another really cool shot. And again, a, another thing that feels pulled from another movie. Yeah. Because yeah. she stumbles upon like three subway cars in a row that are just full of skeletons, giving us this insight to what average people were doing when the nuclear apocalypse occurred. Yeah, it is really strong. It like a super dumb movie. It I and and it would have been yeah it. I love those little details because there really are a lot of nice set details, including at least five different boats that are through skyscrapers. Yeah, that is awesome. Nothing says that the world's fucked up like having a, a fucking oil tanker through the top of a building. But it's and it's brilliant. I I, I love that. I love that kind of set design stuff. Um, uh, yeah. So okay. So the, the Ken and Shin fight, and Shin dies while whining that he gave Julia as much as he could and she just couldn't love him. And he's yeah, a poor, he, uh, poor, poor Shin because yeah. this whole time he just, he just needed his captive unwilling female partner to just embrace that she could have been with him. Yeah. Shin is the fist of the nice guys. Yeah. Damn right. He, he cause, and he dies, he dies clutching the wedding dress. Yeah. Basically like, <laughs> Fully embracing his delusion into death. Yeah, he does have the most, like, dramatic death. Like, it is very maudlin. It's, yeah, it's so, and again, it's, like, so atonal because you have all of these, like, emotionless guys. And then it's like, oh, hey, he's really sad because she never loved him. And that's all right. this was really about, was being loved. I guess. Sure. Uh, so, uh... Yeah, I was going to ask, like, what is love in this movie, Sean? Oh, my God. Uh, Like, I don't know if it's supposed to be a commentary on, like, how people perceive the idea of love and, like, how everybody has a corrupted view of it. Because, like, Ken is the hero of the movie, and he does, like, help the disenfranchised, but, like, he... His motivation is, uh, like, it seems like his sole motivation is to be the strongest. Like, and that's, like, almost everybody's motivation. Whether that's through, like, land grabs or uh, having the best-looking girlfriend, question mark. Or just through, like, pure karate. And maybe that's the ultimate uh, thesis of the movie is that, like, karate might makes right. Like, I don't know. Yeah, because Ken does not... Seem to have a moral code of any kind. He no, does because it. he's like legit exploding people the whole way through, left and right. Like he's yeah. like yeah, all the time. And he doesn't he doesn't seem until and we'll get to it. But I mean, until the like end credits sequence thing, he doesn't really seem to care about Julia. No, so, so that just... she's able to completely disappear during the final battle. Yeah, he's just a fucking Terminator. Yeah, yeah, he has, and maybe that's and maybe that's in the the manga where it's like, it, while he was in that bottomless pit, he was able to bring himself back to life, but not completely. I 
I don't well, know. He, I, I don't know if it's one of those things where it's supposed to be like... Uh, like he's like super zen, but that also, if you don't... If you don't manage it well, it just makes the person seem like they have no depth. You know what I mean? Right, right. And that's and that's sort of the problem that, that most of these characters have, with the exception of Shin and, uh, and Rey, who yeah. both have some depth. Well, I think Rao does too, because Rao has a great line in here... I, I don't remember it exactly, but it's something to, you gave these people hope, and hope is poison, or something like that. And hope is unhealthy. Yeah. Like, yep. so, so... Rao is a good, big bad. Yeah. Like, uh, you... And, like, if they had expanded it... And this movie's long. It's, like, two hours. But if you spent a little bit... This is kind of the, the vicious... Or Vincent. Vincent problem. If you spent, like, a little bit more time with Rao, because, like, lines like that, even though he's a karate psycho... Like, let you believe that, like, you could almost make the case for him that he's making this harsh world to protect people. Like, because this is the best we've got. Right, like, he's he's almost he's almost a Thanos type. Right, like, he's very utilitarian. Yeah, it's just, hey, look, I, I have to be the biggest and the strongest because otherwise we will be beaten by other people. Yeah. The end. Yeah. Um... So so we cut to okay, Rao is now king of a very large group of people, um, and you know that because they go King Rao for half an hour straight over yeah, all the dialogue. That. And, yeah. and then and then uh, and then our fun comic relief characters Bat and Lin sprint out to go see him, which I have a note like why are these kids so eager to see people who will murder them? Not only that, why is Ray, who's supposed to be the responsible adult in this, letting a nine-year-old drive, one, two, just being like, yeah, you kids, go be careful out there. Like, he knows what the score is. Like, yeah. why does he just let him go into the parade, knowing the, like, immense danger? That, not only just from Rao, if he, like, senses the psychic power, which he does somehow, but just the fact that, like, everything is super dangerous... Yeah, it's it, you get no sense that there are any like safe zones or chill places. There's not no, no oasis in the movie. So, for two kids to run into a crowd toward a military leader, right. when every adult other than Ken and Ray have been like, "We want to kill and eat you," I yeah. I, I don't get it. I just don't get it for the life of me because it was it was very weird that they would sprint into the fray, and then of right. course they get spotted there. Which hinges, which creates the the battle between Rao and Ray. Yes. Does Ray die? I see. I assume that he did. Okay. Well, I mean, I assume he did because everybody that fights dies in this. But it's not. It's the one. If it is, it's the one death that's not shown in like horrific detail. Oh yeah, I, I wrote down that Ray's death is the most emotionally resonant thing in the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Because he actually gets to say something, you know, he's, he basically says, like, please, Ken, think of the children. <laughs> yeah. I think he literally says that. I think he says, won't someone think of the children? It's like hell of love, Joy. Yeah. And, 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 and so Ray, in his dying moment, makes this case to Ken, like, don't fight Rao. Just take the kids and go. Oh, yeah, because he says, uh, you're too important to the world, and again, like, based on what? Like, 
just a, a gut feeling he has, or is there something that got cut from the movie, or is this something we should be familiar with the source material to understand? I, I pinned it to the fact that everybody in the wasteland seems to know each other like it's a small town. Right. So, But they all pretend like they don't at the same time. Yeah. But yeah, so after Ray gives this compelling speech, Ken promptly ignores a dying man's pleas and goes and fights Rao anyway. Yeah, it's like the only fight that's like climactic, you know, I guess what is the climax, but like every fight prior to this has been totally anticlimactic. It's they're like two seconds long and people explode. But well, this is an actual fight. Yeah, and, and it's, a, it's so much an actual fight that Ken is like, his shirt bursts off of him. It explodes. <laughs> To, to, to show us his bare chest so he can go full Bruce Lee, I guess. Because yeah. he's very much modeled off of Bruce Lee. Just the, Oh, yeah. Way yeah, he... that and uh, Sylvester Stallone I got a bit of. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good that's a good pull. Um, so then Rao and his flying horse, because apparently the, fo- the horse can fly. Yeah. Fight with Ken. And, uh, yeah, and they battle until Ken's almost dead. But they're both exhausted. And, yeah, and Rao has an inexplicable character shift after this fight, like, immediately after, when the kid's yeah. like, oh, don't kill him, or whatever. He's like, all right, tell him I'll be at my dad's grave forever. Yeah, the, <laughs> so so Lynn, the little girl whose voice was restored, which maybe there's something there. Maybe we're supposed to believe that, like, oh, she was mute, she had a connection to a higher level of information and insight. Um, you know, uh, she runs out there. She's been carrying this sprouted plant. She runs out there and says, let's stop all the killing. And Rao's like, yeah, you know what? You, you made a good case. Which Rao's arc is his dad tells him that he's too brutal and not philosophical enough. Yeah. And at the end, he becomes vaguely philosophical. But for no reason. For absolutely no reason. Like, the, Ken doesn't convince him of anything. There is nothing that he learns it's just like, oh, yeah, you know what? I think this time I'm going to go with that. In and a movie that's, like, lousy with crazy shit happening, his character shift is, like, the most insane thing ever. Yeah, because then cause he his character shifts and then the movie's over. Yeah. yeah. Julia has disappeared and uh, Ken's wandering the wasteland until he finds an oasis where he <laughs> thinks he sees Julia's there or ghost there. Maybe is that the movie? I think so. That's it. Cause I, I, I just I do not get this movie at all. I mean, I like I like elements of this movie a lot, like the 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 comedic ultra violence and the the wasteland, the way the way the post apocalypse looks. But man, there is like it 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 feels like a movie written by me at nine years old playing with action figures. Yeah. Yeah, whoever's the karate is the strongest rules the world. Yeah, and it's like, oh, you know, so and so is on top of the bookcase. We got to go to the bookcase and beat up so and so, and that's right. it. Like that's the story. Well, you know how Akira is like some of this like impossibly protracted manga series that they condensed into a movie and it tells the whole story and you get all of it. This is like the total opposite. Yeah, this. It's like they just randomly ripped pages out of a book and made a storyboard. Like, okay, I guess this is it. We'll take five from the front here. We'll grab, like, a middle-ish section. We'll kind of take some from the end. And eh. (laughs) Yeah, it's like like if you took took the entire text of Hamlet 
And the only pages that you pulled out were the ones where Hamlet sees a ghost or stabs somebody. Yeah. And you put that together and said, this is, this is Hamlet. This is the story. And it's like, what? Sort of? It's like, do you, did you ever see uh, the, Michael Go- the Michelle Gondry movie, Be Kind, Rewind? Oh, no, I didn't. Is it, is it worth seeing? Oh, it is. But uh, yeah. there's what, the, the quick gist of it is most deaf and Jack Black work in a video store. They have some kind of uh, mishap with electromagnets and erases all the tapes. So they reshoot the movies themselves, but the movies are only six minutes long. And it's like this super boiled down version of the movie and it looks super cheap. And somebody asks about it and it's like, oh yeah, they're Swedish. So they called, they called it Sweeting Movies. <laughs> That's what this is. It's like, like you said, it's like they took some like epic story and boiled it down to the, the most base elements and went, there you go. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what it is. This, it, it was, what I will say is it was thoroughly enjoyable. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I won't say that I was riveted, but I was definitely not bored at any point. I was just sort of like, oh, shit. That, like, you're waiting, it's, it's, it's again, it's like a, it's like a, a, an amusement park ride where you just, you're waiting for the next, the next, like, drop on the roller coaster, you know? Right, but it's not even like, it's not even a roller coaster. It's just like you start at the top and it's on a 45 degree angle straight down for 10 minutes. Like yeah, you just so. really yeah. fast. Let's just go. Um, and, you know, talking about the way this movie's structured and a little bit of inside baseball, Nate and I uh, are now longtime, I guess, collaborators at a publishing company. Hell We've yeah, Spaceboy Book. Editing. Yeah. com. We have never plugged. Um, I, plug it, I plug it on a vague idea, though, all the time. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we, we have editing styles, and uh, I think Nate would know that mine is like the economy of storytelling one. But it's this is like my fucking Tyler Durden edited this movie. It's like this movie is like impossibly lean. There's like no connective tissue. Like there's there's no like pause for reflection. There's no – it just goes and goes and goes and goes and, goes and stops. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is it's still two hours long. Yeah. Like – they're, they're, yeah, I mean, that may, and maybe that long, I don't know. Is the mythical, like, complete cut longer? I don't know, but, like, it would have to be, like, pretty long for it to really kind of flesh out. I mean, you're looking at, if this movie's two hours, for this movie to make, like, any kind of sense, I can't imagine you could do it in under three and a half hours. No, I, I agree with you completely. There's a part of me, though, that, that would definitely watch the three and a half hour long version of this oh for sure if if it imbued any of it with like deeper emotional resonance or if i felt like i understood what was happening yeah at it, all it, does, it feels like a netflix show or like a monster of the week thing that they just condensed for youtube or something like it's right. like each one of those bosses should be like an episode or two arc yeah because like, there are so many there are so many massive towering like 40 50 foot tall dudes that are dispatched in seconds. Yeah, he kills everybody in two hours. Like, everybody. Including the blob man who he, like, hyper-vibrates to the point that he explodes. Yeah. Which was, you know... I mean, all of it was gratifying and it was interesting, and I, you know. But, but yeah, I was, like, I was waiting for there to be a challenge, I guess. I was waiting yeah, for yeah. something to have stakes before the end. And, and then the one time he is challenged, he basically loses. Oh, he totally he is, loses. Yeah. He only he only survives because a little girl magically convinces the the strongest guy that like, oh yeah, I don't have to kill people anymore. Is Toby not a fan of this ending? <laughs> 
Uh, that was Rocket, but... Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I just... Uh, yeah. I... Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. This, this was this was like nothing I've seen, and, and I'm glad that I saw it. I really am. Oh, for sure. This I'm, is like a, like a seminal anime, so I'm glad we watched it. Yeah, really, and S-E-M-E-N seminal, too. Oh, for sure. <laughs> well, you want to do our uh, waifus and we'll talk about the apostle for a little bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's do let's do waifus. You you go first. I have to calibrate it against your scale because I I think you're going to be higher than I was. Oh, I know I'm going to be. I'm going to give this an eight and a half waifus because it was like so impossibly masculine and hysterical and fast. Uh, we we talk about it on the movie the podcast all the time. How long movies feel sometimes. So I love a fast dumb movie. Oh yeah, and this was both of those things. Oh, this was like you the said there, there's the dumbest. <laughs> there's so many like little ticks, like the like the subway scene or the boat or like like that. Whoever did like the background drawings is like you know. How, well, if if people at home aren't familiar, like in Major League Baseball, every player has to have a representative for the All Star game. And it was, like, for always, before they were any good, like, the Royals would always have to send, like, a middle reliever. Like, that's this guy. He's, like, this one, like, bright bulb in just, like, a fucking ceiling full of nothing. (laughs) And it's a total waste. (laughs) But, yeah, I was, like, I was enraptured by how just violent and stupid this movie is. So, yeah, I'm gonna give it an eight and a half. All right, I'm gonna give it a, I'm gonna give it a seven. I mean... I was, because the thing is, is, is it is, it is a lot of fun. And when it, it, it's definitely more fun than, than Goku was. Yes. Um, though almost less confusingly weird than Goku. I I don't know. But, but the, yeah, the thing is, is it, it gets, it gets a lot of merit for exactly what you said. It is, it is fast and it's enjoyable and, just the action, just the the ultra violence, and some of those set design touches alone would make. I mean, this this would be a a ten if it had a plot that was in, at all comprehensible. Like, yeah, it, it doesn't even have to be like a, like a deep plot. It because it it's kind of like like a Sanjuro or like a you know a Sergio Leone movie. It's just a guy wandering from town to town, righting wrongs, and that's fine. But there's so much other like insane shit happening around it that like you need to kind of go one or the other, and it does both. Well, it, it's it's really I, maybe the maybe the big flaw in this movie is that because they were condensing a manga series into something two hours long, they picked all of the stories instead of just one. Yeah, like, this could have easily been a trilogy of really good movies where like one movie is about he uh, Ken and Jaggy, and one movie was about. Ken and Jin, and one movie was about Ken and Rao. Right. Those those three movies could have all been very compelling, and we would have felt, you know, because I wanted I wanted to feel the conflict between brothers and the fact that like the brother who who in his hubris gets disfigured and then becomes like embittered and crazy because of that, to the extent that he kills one of his henchmen just for looking at him, which literally just for looking at him, which I thought was hilarious yeah i mean granted the henchman didn't like what he saw and that was the problem but i mean who? god damn if i could do that every time somebody looked at me <laughs> oh you're beautiful stop oh, it. thank you honey uh, but but the, yeah it, if we if, if i could have felt like 
the Julia storyline mattered or or even this like pre- preserving nature and giving the earth a fresh start which seems to be like that's the ending the ending is about oh we can come back from this apocalypse thanks to the plants that the disappearing woman has left with the child right but that doesn't seem to matter to anyone it doesn't seem no. to matter to anyone about anything other than like a throwaway line where somebody where rao says like oh a plant hope is illegal yeah, and I think there's even, like, it's so unimportant that I'm pretty sure there's a scene where that bag of seeds gets dumped out, and it's never explained how it comes back. Yeah, they, I guess somebody just, like, got a dust buster out and put them back in. I guess so. I, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I will give it, I'll give it a solid seven. I mean, it was, it was fun and wacky, and, I mean, it was like nothing else we've seen. All right. Well, let's talk about Apostle for a little bit. Let's talk about a movie that does make some sense. Oh man. Okay. So uh, I really, I really loved this movie, and I'm glad that you guys talked because you and TJ talked about it, right? Yeah. I, uh, TJ and Alex saw it, and I think they did a whole episode on it. Oh, okay. And then I saw it uh, shortly after that, and I talked about it for right. a while because I definitely I listened to the episode where TJ and Alec talked about it, and yeah. I, I and then I heard you guys talking about it. It was. It, it is it is probably one of the best horror movies that I've seen in the last I don't know five years. Oh, a hundred percent agreed. It's like it's the perfect kind of it's horror that's tense and it's about the human horror, which I think is always the most compelling thing. Even though there is like an overt supernatural element to it. Yeah. That, that, yeah. I I mean I don't know. Can we? Uh, do you want to talk about spoilery stuff? Yeah, we might as well. Like, if you don't want to hear spoilers for The Apostle, just shut it off. What are we watching next week? What's it called? Uh, Next week we are watching Arcadia of My Youth. Okay. Yeah, it's on on Prime, so if you've got that, you can watch it for free. And it looks like it's a uh, space-based, futuristic, like, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun little We're Uh, watching Boy Boy Arcade next week. This week... Spoilers for Apostles, starting now. So, okay. So the ending of this movie. Here, here's, here's, my, here's my final take on it, which is uh, Thomas was a preacher, mm-hmm. and he goes to China to be, uh, to be a missionary. And the Chinese are like, we don't want your Christianity here, which I, I'm a little torn on the depiction of that because it's like, well. Well, it's it, also, I don't know if they actually say it outright, but I think it's meant to be during the Boxer Rebellion. Okay. Which makes it make more sense why that happened. Yeah, that, specifically. That, right, and that and that makes a lot of sense because and I was kind of hoping that, but they didn't really say it specifically. So, but uh, so he's he's a preacher and he's lost his faith, and and the only faith he has left is his sister. Right. So just he like goes, Ray. Yeah, just like Ray. <laughs> oh wait a minute. Uh oh. But Thomas is definitely like sweet on uh, sweet on the redheaded girl, right? Oh, and I do not blame him whatsoever. Oh no, she she's a very attractive woman. Uh, yeah, uh, and I, the whole the whole movie is so well acted, just generally speaking. I mean, uh, I was blown away because, and I just keep getting more and more blown away by the quality of these like Netflix movies. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and shows where it's like, oh, you're you're pulling real talent, and it's it's beautiful. Like they rented an entire island off of the coast of. The UK somewhere, I'm assuming. 
I was blown away. Now, TJ's seen, I guess this guy made a horror short for like ABC's A Death or VHS or one of those movies. But I've only ever seen his two movies, the two Raid movies. So this seemed like a huge departure, besides a couple of the fight scenes, from one of the other. So I was like very impressed at how he's able to kind of manage something like this versus the other two movies he made. Oh, well, to go to go so far into, uh, you know, like a, a bare bones historical kind of piece, too, and to do it yeah. so well. Yeah, and uh, I hate period pieces like this, like era period pieces, this kind of colonial shit like it doesn't do anything for me. But I really did love this. Yeah, this I mean, this reminded me a little bit of The Witch. Did you watch that? No, uh, TJ loved it, though. It was one of his yeah. favorite movies that year. So I like that a lot, too. It. The Witch is way it's it's quieter and slower burning. Like, yes. this, like, Apostle is really, it's really just, like, it's a detective thriller with a fucking crazy twist. Yeah. And, but, but, okay, so the, the, the ending of the movie, Thomas is laying on the, on the top of the rock, and, uh, uh, what's his face? I can't remember who the, who Michael Sheen's character. Yeah, I forget the, the, uh, the cult leader, we'll call him. I forget yeah. what, yeah. And he, and Michael Sheen's great in this, too. But oh, he's fantastic, right? He's good in everything, but, I mean, he's yeah. really, really great in this. And they're sitting there, and then, and, and, you know, Thomas is, like, watches his sister and all the other people escape the island, and then he lays down to die, and the island starts, like, digging it, like, the grass actually grows into his skin. Yeah. And I was... So here's my here's my theory on it, and you tell me if this is too crazy. So okay. my thought was the whole reason the goddess became uh, the whole reason the goddess stopped working for them for the cult was because no one was giving their faith to her; they were just giving their blood. It had become too mechanical, and what she wanted was devotion, and she got pure devotion from Thomas when he meets her inside the barn and he realizes that there are gods because he's always been a man of faith, but his faith was taken from him by the brutality of men. And when he meets a God, his faith is restored and she likes that. That's, that's what she wants. She wants a sacrifice, a full faith sacrifice, like someone she can be fed by the blood of someone who believes in her, but not just by blood generally. Yeah, because this is a self-sacrifice as opposed to, to where they were just grinding people up and feeding them to against their will. Right. Yeah. So yeah. so that's and that yeah, that's so that's basically what the the ending read is, right? That it's like Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'd say you're spot on. Cool. I th- I think I said it on one of the shows. It was like man discovers god, man kills god, man becomes god. <laughs> kind of like uh the was it the fucking god creates man or god creates dinosaurs, god kills dinosaurs. God creates man, man kills God, man creates dinosaurs. <laughs> like, yeah. Dinosaurs eats lawyer on a toilet. Yeah, uh, like I feel like this—the ending is like both kind of happy and also incredibly dark. Oh, it's super sinister because you get the sense that now Michael Sheen's going to go. Oh, all right, I can start over. Yeah, and he's going to go back and start his his cult again, and it might be a kinder, gentler version because he has a good character arc at least in that he's not. Pure evil. Yeah. He's just really trying to help them not starve. They do such a good job getting you invested in the people on the island. Like, when the boy... And we're already in spoilers, so you're bad if you hear this and you're mad. The uh, 
the kind of uh, mentally affected, we'll say, uh, kid that gets the girl pregnant. Like, oh, yeah, you're yeah. with him, so you really feel it when he's brutally murdered. Yeah, the... the uh... And, the, and it was one of those moments where I was really – because I, I found that devastatingly sad because he, yeah. he wasn't even crying out trying to tell them – tell anybody the truth anymore. No. He had just sort of given up once they had carried him and then they st- – and then they strap him down to this, this bed thing out in the open. And, and the girl's dad who is like the religious enforcer of the triad of religious founders of the island. He is the the Dick Cheney to Michael Sheen's George Bush. Well said, yeah. He absolutely is. <laughs> he fucking drills into the top of the kid's head with what is, I mean, it's like a, a three-inch, uh, like, wood drill bit. Yeah, it's like a hole saw, like you're putting recessed lights in your house. Yeah, and he... Cuts a hole right into the top of the kid's head. And then puts God, not only that, inside. but there's that POV shot where the kid's getting his head clamped. And you just see that, like, splurt of red where the blood vessels popped inside his eye. Like, oh, uh, my God, it's so bad. Yeah. It, this, that, that movie was, was brutal. Although I, I really feel like the all of the all of the gore and violence was done really well. Yeah, no, nothing yeah, it, it, nothing it, felt it, cheated or unnecessary. No, no, it all felt earned. Yeah, yeah. Um, but God, that was such a good movie, and I'm glad I'm glad that I listened to you guys and then watched it because you know I yeah. I, I never know, and then it's like yeah, this was it was just so it was just so well done from beginning to end. Yeah, it's banging around up there in my top three or four. Like it's it's this year, it's like that. It's you were never really here. It was upgrade, and uh, I think First Reformed is my favorite movie this year. But Apostles like real close, and so is you're never really here. Yeah, and you, you're never really here. Was was also phenomenal, and that's I mean that and okay, and and to compare that to Fist of the North Star, you were never really here. Is a movie that is just as disorienting, but it but it has so much meaning in its disorientation. Yeah, and it's it was no disrespect to people that made the Fist of the North Star. It was made by like a real artist, like Lynn Ramsey has a really good eye for things. Yeah, and. It's not a hyper, like, it's kind of, it's kind of not, I wouldn't say, like, a take on toxic masculinity, because I don't, that term gets thrown around so much, but it's kind of, like, what that really means sometimes when you're, like, that much of a man, like, when you go through those, like, stereotypically, like, challenging men moments. Oh, yeah. Like, what, what really happens to you internally? Oh yeah, that well because that that movie is all about it's it's basically about violence and PTSD. Yeah, as as a circular sort of it's just a it's just a feedback loop between those two things. Yeah, and so it's presented it goes between beating the shit out of somebody to completely beating the shit out of himself to beating the shit out of somebody else. Yeah, and it's presented in a very like when you, when we talk about PTSD and I'll get on a weird tangent. Usually, I think when people talk about PTSD, they talk about it in two ways. One's in the gendered way. It's usually men are in like this case, like you know, war, some kind of like violence that they perpetrate. Whereas with women, it's usually PTSD. At least in film and books and bad books, mostly uh, is kind of like violence committed to them. Usually, sexual violence. Right. So, like, it's kind of like 
the male half of that, but it's presented really well. And I think the relationship that he has with his mother does really well to kind of balance that whole thing out. Oh yeah. Well, and, and even the, in the relationship that he sort of, that he silently develops with the girl that he rescues and, and the way that, I don't know, like that, that closing scene in the diner, yeah. which pretty much summarizes Like it's, it's a, it's really like that movie is like, is a really well-written essay and it, and it, hits a summary point that's like, okay, everything that you've been paying attention to, here it is again. Okay, let's go. It's like, yeah. All, yeah. all, the, all the movies I've loved this year, and I think you and I talk about this uh, analog, is, have been, like, impossibly heavy. And I don't know if it's just a function of us getting older and, like, dealing with our own mortality, but, like, First Reformed is super heavy. That, The Apostle, even... Upgrade, which is like a kind of like cyberpunk romp, is a very heavy movie in parts. Like, like everything I love this year except for Venom, which I love on a, a, a totally different plane than I do all. Annihilation is another very heavy movie that I love this year. Uh, a Prayer Before Dying is another super heavy movie. Like, I don't know if that because I don't think I was ever like that. <laughs> I never had that much depth in my taste, but there's something about. Th- these last couple of years, I feel like we're kind of in a renaissance for the for that type of movie, though. Yeah, it's like we're, very seventies. We're yeah, it's uh, it's it, we're getting we're getting a lot of really well done movies that mash together the kind of action that we're sort of used to being just cast off. Whatever, right. it's just there to be like this is an action movie. We're getting those movies, but actually saying like, yeah, but there are real people in this one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a really good point. That's a good way to say it. And I, I don't know. I don't know if it's you know, is it is it because of the politics of the time? Is it because of the you know, is is this the uh, the filmmaking uh, window of time where the people who witness nine eleven as children are now making films, and so they're making films about violence taking real people and dealing with real people. I, I don't know. But yeah, you're right. It's like it's very much like that that 70s style, that 70s era with your, you know, your Scorsese's and and Coppola's and stuff like that where, you know, those they were questioning like the 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 surface level sort of stuff of all of this and now we're going another layer deep down. Yeah, you're right. Like it's kind of this is the internal versus the external. Like a lot of those, not all of them, but a lot of them were yeah. like kind of an external view, like the society as a whole versus the movies now, which are a lot more like internal, like my personal place in this. Yeah, yeah, the individual struggle, the 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 way that like these, yeah, that that I mean, because well, you were never really here is is a veteran story. Yeah, um, and it's very and it's like Rambo in that sense, uh, in that it breaks similar ground or uh, First Blood. Yeah, yeah, I knew what you meant. I didn't think you meant Rambo three. <laughs> um, have you seen a Ghost Story yet? No, that was that's the one movie from last year that was on my list that I didn't get around to watching. You're talking about the Casey Affleck movie, right? Yeah, yeah, we we watched it. We watched it last week in Film Club, and I I, I can't recommend it enough. I mean, okay. it I I I left that movie knowing I liked it and unsure about what was going on, and then it took me about a week of thinking about it, and I really love it more having done that. Um, but it's, it, it similar. It's similarly like it's this deep dive. Like it's a very personal 
So, yeah, it's kind of the concept is kind of like what the what grief does to the people around you when you're gone, right? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 grief of others, it's grief of self. It's I mean it, it yeah, it tackles a whole just a litany of different topics and it does so really well. I mean it's it and it's so it's so unconventional. I mean, you know, Casey Affleck spends most of the movie under a sheet with eye holes cut into it like a cartoon like a like a child's Halloween costume style ghost, but it and it works. It works perfectly. Um, so yeah, you you should check it out sometime. Um, what are you guys watching tonight? We we canceled tonight. I guess they're oh. uh, they're going to a Nuggets game, and also it's been snowing all day long, so I didn't really feel like trudging down there anyway. <laughs> I hear you. Well, if you're not if you don't have any plans, I would suggest strongly that you watch First Reformed because I think you'd really like it. Well, great. I'll I'll put it on uh, right after we're done. Sweet. Text me. Uh, let me know, and then if you like, we'll talk about it on the show at the end. We'll do our uh, our uh, live action minute at the end of the movie. Yeah, because I well, uh, I was gonna because uh, you brought up uh, you brought up Last Jedi on movie the podcast again this last yeah. week. Yeah, um, and, and yeah, because I I rewatched it again like uh, a month ago and and had a similar sort of thing where it's like okay, because uh, what what I think's interesting is that. The like the Russian bot controversy thing that you guys talked about on there too, um, I think it's a real thing. And I, I do, whole, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I the whole doubt. purpose behind it was to politically divide us. It has nothing to do with Star Wars being a good movie. No, it's just about like, hey, we got to make sure that the people who hate SJWs and the people who claim to be SJWs fight, and we can make them fight over this piece of media. Um, and it sucks because the whole narrative of criticism of that movie has become like staunchly political and i just want to talk about the movie as a movie and the movie as a movie is not very good right the, mo- the movie is a movie but like you said too it can be fixed so easy. yeah yeah absolutely um, he needs somebody to go over that script because it's really for a movie that's supposed to be so different from anything else it follows the empire script pretty much exactly yeah but it doesn't do that well and I, I, you know, little, there are little tweaks. Move Benicio Del Toro's character to be on the team in the beginning of the movie so that they don't have to meet him. And so when he betrays them, it's more like, oh, a real betrayal. Yeah, don't have Finn's character arc be totally wiped out from the first movie and then give him the same exact character arc in the second movie. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and, and cut out a lot of the jokes because it is, it is l- just overloaded with jokes. And they're not funny. Like I know it's, no, it's subjective, they're, but they're just not good jokes. They're they're like insulting jokes. I mean the the way that the way that Finn is intro, is reintroduced to us, he's like yeah. slipping and flopping around. In and not only that, but just from like an editing construction standpoint, that scene takes place immediately after this really kind of like touching and poignant scene of the bombers. You know, regardless of how bombs function in space, all that other fucking technical minutia that who cares. But, like, this really affecting scene of these people sacrificing their lives and cuts immediately to this fucking, like, slapstick Benny Hill shit. Like, it, it's bad. Yeah. No, it just it just doesn't work because it's either, you know, it... it I think the thing is, is that it is it is a franchise that when it's taken seriously but not self-seriously, it's very effective storytelling. It's a fairy tale. It's about yeah. telling... It's about telling a fairy tale... Like you believe it, yeah, and or like, and and that movie reads like you guys know you guys don't really believe this is real either. So let's just do whatever, and that's yeah. that's the bummer about it. 
Yeah, and like even Laura, and we'll just wrap up on this because we'll end up talking about I We'll end up talking this movie for an hour. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Laura Dern's relationship to Oscar Isaac in that movie could be very easily fixed with her just being kind of like the older version of him. You know what I mean? She's like, look, I understand. I was you once. Like, I think I suggested at some point that he's in that, that cell and she's like, move this wall panel. And he moves it and like her initials are carved into it. And she's like, I was you once. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I did that. I was, and, But sometimes you have to follow orders. You may not like them. You may not understand them, but there are reasons to do it. But there's no, it's nothing. It's, she doesn't tell anybody anything and then just locks him up and then lets him out and then kills herself. Like, it's, you know what I mean? There's no depth to it. No. That, Besides, yeah, that, like, yeah. there's visual depth to the suicide, but there's no emotional stakes to it because you don't know anything about her. And the things you do know about her are just, she's, like, useless as a character. Which is sad. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it is. It's 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 a waste of her as a talented actress and as an opportunity to have a character with with real resonance in in the series. You know, right? Um, yeah, we we could talk about this for hours and hours, uh, and no one wants to listen to that again. <laughs> <laughs> if you do, we'll do a special episode. We'll talk about it again. Oh, there you go. All right. Yeah. Uh, ooh. Yeah, because if we can find like uh, one of the Star Wars animated. Uh, like the 80s, like the comic book animated ones. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If we can find something like that, maybe we do that on the show, too. We can do a little uh, little Star Wars episode. We'll save that for the May the 4th episode. Oh, there you go. Yeah, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be way on the nose. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, honey. Okay, so next okay. week, Arcadia of my youth. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I love you. Um, I love you, too. I'll, uh, tell me the name of that movie again that I'm supposed to watch. First Reformed with First Ethan Reformed. Hawk. Yeah. Great. Okay. I'm going to go put that on right now. And, okay. Uh, and yeah, I'll talk to you again uh, next week. Yep. All right. All right, brother. <laughs> Love you. Love you too. All right. Bye. Bye.
to fight. <laughs>